What is up? Welcome back to Big Fat Five, a podcast financially supported by Big Fat Snare Drum. My name is Ben Hilzinger, and this week's guest is Neil Daniels, an LA-based drummer whose current rotation of gigs includes LP, Liz Fair, and Matt Nathanson. But his credits also include Booker T. Jones, Post Malone, Dua Lipa, Camila Cabello, and many more. As is common with this podcast, we've known each other from afar for quite some time, but this podcast keeps bringing people together. Neil is a pro drummer through and through, and this is definitely a masterclass in the journey to enlightenment. I know it sounded like I said that in jest, but really he talks about the beginning of his career and what got him excited about drums, all the way through his weird odd time signature phase and then moving to LA, but still playing too busy and feeling completely lost and then ultimately becoming one of the most hireable drummers out there. So please get your notepad out for this. I personally gained a lot and I know you will. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Neil Daniels about the five records that shaped him into the player he is today. Cheers. Have you done any of those Nelson Drum Shop pro drum like grooves of the day where they just give you sticks and have you go at it? No, I love pro drum, but I've I've been avoiding them like the plague. I'm just so nervous to do it. I would have to like I'm gonna call out drummers here. I think that everyone that goes in there pretends like, oh, this is just this is my groove. I bet everyone is just practicing that beat <laughs> for like a month. If I was gonna go into pro drum, I'd be like you know, I know exactly what I was going to play and pretend well, that's, like I was. That's just, the question. You know, what What would you play? I have no idea. Probably just something very simple with no crashes and no fills. I did do like a yeah that Gretsch shell series thing. Like I, I actually you know I I didn't really work up that much stuff for that. I feel like when there's so many cameras in your face, it, sometimes if you have stuff really prepared, you're just going to fuck it up. I yep. think. I mean, I would. You need some sort of like, uh, I don't know, surprise element to, you know, surprise yourself. Maybe you just come up with some cool shit. I don't know. What would you do? Would you prepare things? No. And I mean, I thought I would have, but then I think it was four episodes ago, Jordan Rose, or maybe it's, maybe it's Andrew Marshall. It was one of those guys that's just like, usually the first thing I play when I pick up my sticks is the most inspired. And so he would just trust himself. That's bold. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's I think that's why I asked the question because I'm so in my own head about it that I don't fucking know what I would do. I mean, the obvious answer is it would depend on how the drums are tuned, it would depend on what the snare sounds like, what the room is it is there some weird slapback going on and so there all there's a lot of caveats, but yeah, I have no idea. It would probably be a Gatson style halftime something. That's the other thing. If you if you practice in like your comfy practice room, bashing some beat and then you go into pro drum and there's like you know 50 people in there and Dave Elitch is looking at you like oh and you're like <laughs> and it's like a it's like a jazz kit with a 10 inch tom you're not going to play well so what was your plan of attack going into this and you did say that you're about to get into this you're not really a record guy but yeah just the, the influences that shaped who you are uh behind the kit so what was your plan of attack yeah i some people are like oh that record is amazing or i I just wore that record out. I never did that ever. Like, I'm just not that guy. 
maybe that's bad. I don't know. I, I just I have like songs, specific songs on records that brought me back to specific times. And I think I try to do it in order of not just like times when I was listening to that music, but um, how my drumming was shaped through that time as well. You know, I had like a metal phase, a rock and metal phase earlier on. And then I had my, you know, smoked weed for the first time in high school. What? And, and I, I mean, I don't know if this is being aired, but, you know, this is, yeah, there. we're definitely um, deleting oh, this. Thanks, bud. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and uh, I don't smoke anymore, but that was a, um, that I was like, oh my God, fish and Umphreys McGee. And like, and then I started playing all, you know, all those things of very, you know, I joined a jam band and I was like very free form. And that actually did a lot of, I mean, it hurt and helped my playing, I'm sure, um, at the same time. And then, you know, from there I went to the, the higher end of that, which is like the Zappa, all the odd time stuff. And then that brought me to the LA. And then I was like, this stuff's great. And I love jazz, but now I need to pay my rent. And then that closes the whole thing for the parliament style, like the, just the two and four backbeat things, which is basically the story of, of my life and not getting to play odd times or, you know, free flowy jams anymore. Well, you're, I mean, all that got you on a really nice cushy tour right now. So obviously you didn't make the wrong decisions. Yeah. They all impacted me equally. So that was kind of my thought process just, um, and all of the drummers in the bands that I picked, um, are, you know, obviously big influences of mine. So sweet. Well, let's just get into them. Yeah, let's go. All right. So the, uh, number one, the album's 10, the release here's 1991. The artist is Pearl Jam. The song choice is Alive. And the drummer is, and I'm going to butcher his name, is it Krusen? Babe Krusen or Krusen, Krusen, yeah. Krusen. I like Krusen. Um, Babe all right. Krusen. Take it away, and then, uh, and then we'll listen to some Alive. Okay, so I picked this record because my dad showed me this record. My dad died when I was in high school. I was 16, 16 or, yeah, 16. He passed away. Um, he was a drummer, not for a living, but, you know, always had drums in the house and, you know, was my first uh, drum hero. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, I, I just have a vivid memory uh, of him showing me this record. We'd like listen to it when he drove me to school. I just, yeah, I just had memories of listening to a live in the car and, and like, I have a memory of him telling me you should just be tapping like to everything. Now, he always like used to tap on the steering wheel. Like before I took drums seriously, I was like playing guitar at that time in a metal band. Yeah, this was like, this kind of like kickstarted my whole lifelong quest of listening to drums on, you know, songs and albums. I mean, yeah, I, I just have great memories of listening to this record with him. And yeah, that's why I picked it. Did he physically teach you drums or did he just have the kit there and kind of inspired you and you kind of did your own thing? He tried to, but I was just, you know, a very um, stubborn kid and he was trying to teach me things like, no, and go upstairs and eat, <laughs> you know, whatever and be mad. But he sure. did try, you know, he didn't really play towards like the end of his life. He played percussion at like, you know, um, Chicago clubs called Adagio, but I have pictures of him playing drums as a kid. I, I have both of his kits at my mom's house in Chicago. Old Pearl kit with, where like the Pearl letters are like, you know, sticking out of the Tom. They're like yeah, printed yeah. out individually. Kind of looks like the Rogers thing, yeah. Yes, exactly. And then a, uh, a Ludwig Black Oyster Pearl, an old one. Classic. Classic, still have that. We had like this black TKO kit, equivalent to like a sound percussion or something for a long time. And then he got this Ludwig, this amazing Ludwig kit. And I went down 
to the basement and I saw the kit set up and I was so disappointed because it didn't have two toms because all my <laughs> friends had had two toms, you know, five piece kit. Yeah. And really because of that, I was so angry, but it, because of that moment, I had, I never played a five piece ever in my life, ever. Never had two toms up. It's always just been tom, floor tom, or two floor toms. You get away with it with the second floor tom, but never two racks. Yeah. Never, never. And for a long time, I even if there was a second floor tom, it's always just the phone holder, towel holder, you know, yeah. something. Um, so that was all like around that same time and um, just, just good, good memories have started off. snare sound oh it's yeah it's amazing Yeah, even just, you know, he has his own swing to it, but that feels, if you're playing along to it, that's probably a lot slower than you think it is. You don't want to keep like rushing that song, but he lays back the whole time. That's insane. All right. Well, let's just go on to number two. And unfortunately, Lars is not talked about enough. And it's a shame because he's one of my favorite drummers to play along to. But the album is Master of Puppets, released here's 1986. Thank you. The uh, artist is Metallica, song choice is Battery, and of course... Lars Ulrich, so take it away proudly. Well, you you said it. I mean, not talked about enough. I mean, obviously, I mean, not the greatest drummer currently, but who cares? You know, it you, it is undeniable. His drumming is undeniable between you know eighty six, ninety. When, when did Black Album come out? Ninety one. Yeah. I mean, that unbelievable era of, of uh, rock drumming and mm-hmm. really created the style of its own. I'll back Lars till the day I die, you know, influenced thousands and thousands of drummers and especially me. And, uh, I picked battery, you know, I was, I graduated high school in 2007. So I obviously didn't grow up, you know, when this, um, record came out, but I was a big Metallica fan early high school, freshman year. I was in a metal band called Annex. I was playing guitar and singing, trying to sing, covering battery and master of puppets and, you know, Kill switch engage mm-hmm. and just all the all the goods um yeah my dad hated metallica um his one fault um why i remember i don't know i remember showing him like uh you know battery at home and he was just like this is this doesn't make any sense you know uh, just dads you know they don't, sure. they don't get it you know mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I, I just I just think uh, I've just had so many like, you know, not serious, but but like, you know, borderline uh, heated discussions about Lars. And yeah, he's just a fucking man. Come on. Only between the years of 86, 90. I can't, you know, anything post that gets a little weird, you know. Um, but I also saw Metallica at Allstate Arena uh, or Rosemont, um, whatever it was called, back in 2004. Mm -hmm. It's a sophomore in high school. So it was like right after my, my dad passed away and I went there with a buddy of mine and it was, it was the, um, I guess I'll say it was the greatest show I'd ever seen. It was one of the first shows I'd ever seen. Definitely the first in an arena setting. Mm -hmm. So that, that concert was really important for me. I think that was like the moment where I was like, yeah, that's, that's me for sure. Yeah. Fuel is if I ever am in the practice space and I just want to sweat, that is one of the funnest drum parts to play along to. Yep. That's how we used to open our shows as Annex. I would say, I would say, give me an F, F, all five people, give F, give me a U, U, give me fuel, give me fire. That was my <laughs> shtick. You know, that was my, my 14 year old thought I was being funny shtick. Um, yeah, you, uh, you should have Matt do that. I think that's really good. Back when I saw them, they opened, of course, with the ecstasy of gold, the classic intro, and then into battery. And I, I was just losing my fucking mind. I just remember like just a innocent little kid in the in the pit with people that are way bigger and scarier than me, and just having the fucking time of my life. So you would have been what a freshman, oh four, probably the summer going into sophomore year. I cannot hear this song on the upbeats. I only hear it's like this in black and I don't know what's wrong with me, but I only hear it on downbeats. Oh, so you're hearing the snare like a Motown beat right now? Yes. Interesting. I know it's wrong. I know it's wrong. But even when I play it, I play it like that and then play the crash going into the second part of the verse on an upbeat. Hmm. Yeah, I'm a broken record too, but people that say Lars sucks, I just clock out. I'm like, it's just, there's no point. We're so far apart from how we view music that I just can't even talk anymore. Yeah, I, I, I black out. I go into a fit of, uh, you know, humorous rage. But I, I like to really dive in to talk about why they think Lars sucks. And it's usually like, well, he can't play now. I'm like, dude, yeah. but, you know, I mean, when you're 
that age and not practicing drums, you know, yeah. and have been playing rim shots for 30 years and, and just, you know, come on. And he's really the, um, he's spearheading that whole operation. Really. If it wasn't for Lars, I think Metallica would have been done a long time ago. Um, having said that, some people and me a lot of times agree that maybe they, it should have been done a while ago. Um, <laughs> but but I, all the respect in the world, and, and um, on that note, Some Kind of Monster is probably uh, my top five uh, favorite movies of all time. It's a very interesting watch for sure. Oh, man. The Therapist and, and, and Bob Rock. The whole thing is just... Yeah, it's a great bus watch when you're touring. I will say I watched the recent performance of them on on Howard Stern playing Luxie Turner, and it sounded great. I'm not sure how much was edited afterwards, but it sounded awesome. You never know. You know, I could have done it without the acoustic version of Blackened, um, but <laughs> I mean, good on him, man. Shit, if you can still be making records and be in the band for that long, I mean, that's that's uh, that's fucking great. Yep. Hey y'all, I wanted to, <laughs> I can't say, I wanted to talk to you about a drum I've recently received from Preston at Vessel Drum Co. It's an ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum, and it's incredible. It's got a 1.5 millimeter shell, brass shell, with 10 lugs, chrome over brass, triple flange hoops, a trick uh, three position strainer, 42 strand wires. It's lovely, it's loud, and it cuts and records as beautiful as a piece of butter cake. And, and Preston, actually, this is why it's called the Ocean Patina, is he covers the shell with seaweed and then drops it in the ocean for a certain period of time. And then it patinas with all these crazy cool designs. And if you all remember, Preston was actually one of the first guests on the podcast. When I first started out, I didn't really know what the Big Fat Five format was going to be or if it was going to be even Big Fat Five at all. But I went to his garage, his, his, you know, where he makes all of his drums. It was really cool. He walked me through the episode is essentially from start to finish what happens with a drum. And it was, it was a really fun episode. It's now archived at bigfatsnaredrum.com just because it doesn't fit the format of Big Fat Five. I want you to get back to the show, but go check it out. This drum is beautiful. And he actually let me use it on an Eve 6 tour and I didn't keep it and i regretted it ever since then just because i was trying to pinch pennies at the time and i just kept thinking about it and so the opportunity to get it again was presented and it is one of my favorite drums so the ocean patinaed 14 by five and a half snare drum check it out reach out to me go to vessel drum co the instagram's just at vessel drum co and check it out it's amazing it's beautiful sounds great bye all right number three the album's Anchor Drops, release here is 2004, and I actually don't know anything about this band. So Umphreys McGee, the song choice is Jaw Junk Part 1, and the drummer's Chris Myers. <laughs> Jaw Junk Part 1. Jaw Junk. Yeah, Chris Jajunk. Myers is the drummer. So take it away. I'm going to stop talking. Okay, so Umphreys is, uh, you know, I think a lot of them are from Indiana, but we're this a Chicago band. Um, they live in Chicago. And I went to school and grew up in Chicago. And where I grew up and went to high school, uh, Stevenson High School. Shout out. In Lincolnshire. Shout out to my dean, Miss Emils, who, uh, you know, hated me and still hates me, I'm sure. Humphreys was, um, they were local heroes for a lot of people. Obviously, 
kids that were growing up in Chicago. And Chris Myers, uh, who's now a great friend of mine, was my number one drum hero mm. growing up. And has actually gotten some great recognition now being, you know, been written up in Modern Drummer and is actually getting some recognition he definitely deserves. I was attracted to them because I was, as I was getting into my, you know, stoner phase, I was still listening to metal music. A lot of people were into fish and string cheese incident. I never really gravitated towards them because they weren't heavy. Humphreys had distortion going on and Chris was playing double bass and they, they're definitely the most rock of all the jam bands so around that time I, I was in a band called chicago green that was us uh and we were <laughs> you know we we were uh you know we were a jam band in chicago we made a full record like a pressed cd with like you know notes inside and like mm -hmm. the whole thing and umfries was by far our biggest influence and all my friends too we used to go see them i've probably seen them just in high school maybe 50 times you know, at the air, they used to play the Aragon on New Year's Eve. I was in a, another jam band called Tula. We used to play their uh, pre and after parties in Chicago. I, I picked this song partially because it was the shortest of, of all their songs. Um, but you'll hear that um, there's a lot of odd times going on musically. They make it musical. And you'll hear the, the rock and metal influences. And yeah, this this was a really big part of my my drumming influence. Chris was like, a very studied drummer. I think he had a master's degree in jazz drumming from, um, I think he went to DePaul mm. in Chicago. And uh, I remember my bass player buddy, Max, who was in that band and still my best buddy today, we went to go see Chris play at, I think it was a place called Webster's Wine Bar in Chicago, where Chris was playing just with like a little Latin trio. And that was the first time we met. And I, I remember still today, it's so funny to think about because Chris is such a good friend of mine now and I'm not into that music really anymore, but I was so starstruck meeting Chris and um, he was like asking us about our band and we were hanging and it was just, um, he invited us backstage when they played the rave in Milwaukee and we were hanging. I was just a kid, you know, and uh, because of him, um, that really, uh, he was yeah just a, a massive influence to me throughout high school and they've, made, they've been making records, you know, since then unbelievable drummer and a great dude yeah jajunk hell yeah here's jajunk part one There's so much to take away from that. There's there's a lot. I mean, you know, you wouldn't catch me dead in, in a in a Humphreys concert now. Um, but I uh, <laughs> do you tell Chris yeah, that? <laughs> I, oh yeah, oh yeah, for sure. 
but yeah, I, I've just seen them so many times. I was definitely that kid. I had a big hemp necklace on. I had the big bead in a Metallica shirt selling weed out of a Pringles can at the at the Humphreys concert. You're a renaissance was, man, dude. That was me. I'm telling you, I started the whole thing. It was, it was great. Wow. And that was a record that we really wore out, I would say. Of all these that I'm mentioning today, the early Humphreys records, I just, yeah, that I really, truly wore those out with my friends. We knew everything. We were listening to that at seven in the morning, driving to school. I got to get Chris on this show. He seems like a, a guy that I would like to know where the hell a lot of those uh, <laughs> riffs are coming from, too. Dude, my highest recommendation. One of the only drummers uh, that can really actually tell you what he's playing. Okay. You know, he's, he's so studied. And, and yeah, he's a, he's a master. He's a true master. Amazing, amazing drummer. Hell yeah. Yeah. All right, number four, Overnight Sensation is the album. Release year's 1973. The artist is Frank Zappa. The song choice is I'm the Slime and Ralph Humphrey. So, yeah, take it away. Okay, so after my jam band scene, or my jam band um, phase, I should say, I was studying um, with a teacher named David Jennings. Before I moved to L.A., this would have been in 2008, I went to a community college, and David... I had a lot of weird teachers growing up that probably held me back in some ways. Teachers with huge kits and was playing all this crazy shit that has nothing to do with making a living. David was the, the first teacher that really kind of honed me down and showed me a lot of music and knew I was into jam bands and stuff. So he kind of led me, you know, to the, uh, the next level, which was like Zappa, the original. Not like the Grateful Dead route, but like a little more musically elevated. And about that time, I found out about L.A. Music Academy. A couple of my friends in the years prior had gone to their summer program. That was a, it's a jazz school in Pasadena. And Ralph Humphrey was the department head at that school. Ralph and Joe Picaro also opened up PIT at MI. They were the original drum teachers there that, um, in the 80s. And then they left MI and opened up Llama. Music Academy. So I went to the summer program and met Ralph and I'd already been listening to Zappa and he was like my next drum hero. I loved Zappa at that time. And meeting Ralph was another kind of like starstruck moment for me and being able to go study with him for these couple summers that I went there was truly changed my life. And I ended up moving to LA really and ultimately just to study with Ralph. I mean, Ralph is the reason why I moved to L.A. Um, in 2009. So, you know, I, I went to the school and studied with Ralph. And, you know, I was there. I was I was asking him all these Zappa questions and playing all these odd times. And, you know, looking back, was pretty lost. I thought I had my shit together, but really had no idea what it took to play music for a living. And, and I, it took me um, to, you know, I, I traveled all the way. I went to school to play like Ralph and ultimately Ralph taught me not to play like him he saw potential in me and, and really believed in me and pushed me to play simply and to uh, make me into a working drummer um, i really owe a lot of that to ralph so this record he, ralph played on apostrophe and overnight sensations and uh pretty weird records but this is uh was a pretty popular song by zappa
such a great teacher he had such a deep understanding of twos and threes subdivisions and was just could play anything i saw him play with the john diversa band at the baked potato he is i mean just an unbelievable sight reader the shit he was doing at that show blew my mind yeah ralph passed away like less than a month ago mm, i'm sorry um, man. and yeah and and that that hit me really hard i i remember like every cool gig i got i i would email him and we'd, we'd talk and he had me back this at the school to do a couple of clinics mm. um which was great and he was always just so happy for me um i remember when i when i got the gig with booker t he was the first person i told um because he was the one who really told me about al jackson and it's like you should really be like listening to shit like this cause this is like where it all started and uh he, he was so happy for me um and had like you know it was cool to see him so interested in something I was doing for the first time. He respected that I got that gig so much. That that school will never be the same. I mean, it's a great if you, if you have the opportunity to study there and you're you know moving to LA. I I highly recommend it. But it's a different school now. When I was going, it was a just a two year. It was actually a one year program. I was one of the first years where they made it into a two year program, and it was mostly a drummer school. Mm. They had just a few guitar players couple bass players a little vocal department and that was it and like 50 drummers it was ralph humphrey joe Picaro, gary ferguson another really big influence of mine dave buyer unbelievable drummer a great friend of mine today who else tony and Zalaco, jazz drummer and now that joe joe passed away recently too a few years ago and now that joe and ralph are gone i'm not sure what's going to happen now because they started that whole curriculum but uh yeah, back then it was just mainly a drum department and a ping pong table upstairs, and and that's it. Now it's like a four year school with like a production program, and it's like you know, it's becoming like kind of what MI is. Not that that's a bad thing, but it's like you know, very you know, just a Hollywood school. But uh, yeah, I I sent him 
uh, an email. I heard that he was sick, and I sent him an email a few weeks ago telling him that I was we're playing at the Hollywood Bowl on Monday. And we used to talk about him playing at the bowl with uh, the Don Ellis big band back in the, in the day. And yeah, that was that was a cool. Uh, he passed away a few days after I sent him that email, but he responded and he was like, uh, I told him I was playing the bowl and he was like, yeah, that, that does seem like uh, an accomplishment. And it was just the way he wrote that. I was like, yeah, it, it does seem like an accomplishment, but really nothing matters like that. You know, did he say it tongue in cheek like that? He meant it like that? He or? did. I think, I think so. It's like, yeah, it does um, seem like an accomplishment. It seems like it, but I think he, uh, he always had a, a way of looking at the the big picture. What's this? What is this life all about? No matter who you play with or what you play, I think it's the impact you make on people. And he definitely uh, made a, a very big one on me. That's for sure. Man, even his last correspondence with you, he was still teaching you something, his perspective yeah. and stuff. What a what a great man. Yeah, that's awesome. I'm happy you brought him up. Oh yeah. If anyone doesn't know Ralph Humphrey, highly recommend just a little brief YouTube whole uh, one night you can just get into some videos and there's a lot of zappa footage and some footage of him teaching at at llama and you can just kind of see his uh wizardry 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 yeah wizardry he was just yeah he was like yoda uh, the yoda of the drum community so r.i.p ralph yeah hero all right number five the album is clones of dr frankenstein release years a great title i just want to appreciate that um, yeah. Release here is 1976. The artist is Parliament. The song choice is Everything is on the One. Kind of like how you hear that uh, that Metallica song. And then yeah. drummer <laughs> is Jerome <laughs> Braley. So take it away. To be honest, I'm not a massive Parliament fan. I don't like listen to P-Funk. This song just kind of sums up um, where I am now. You know, I was really lost for a long time of uh, just not knowing what to do and what to play um, to make a living playing drums. I mean, music is is great and fun, but it's a business for me. And, you know, I'm here to to make a living for many decades. Um, And I was really lost in doing that for a long time. So this song, I remember, I think Ralph turned me on to this record and song. He, He just saw that I needed to play more simply. And this, I think this is one of the examples that he brought up. I've played along to this song so many times. Just the title, Everything's on the One. I mean, story of my life. I mean, I play pop music for a living, and there's none of this uh, game going around, where's the one, let's hide the downbeat shit. You know, like we're playing songs here, and shit's on the one. So I think if you're a drummer, or playing any instrument, but if you are a drummer, I highly recommend playing along to this song. It's so much harder than you think it's so simple to play as deep in the pocket as bigfoot and this song is very difficult so i hope you enjoy Thank you. 
Yeah, I mean, maybe played with a click. Who knows? Probably not. Just feels so good. Amazing uh, album art, by the way, if you haven't seen the record cover. Yeah, I, I'm more attracted to music like that. I was really like, for many years, uh, was really impressed by all all the notes and all the chops, which I think is important to have for every drummer. But if you're really working in the pop world, you rarely get to um, bust it out. Definitely as much as I thought it when I was a young, um, you know, my younger years of playing drums. I, I would have been way farther along if I had uh, discovered stuff like this earlier on. I mean, I'm glad I I didn't in some ways because it expanded my musicality and, you know, chopped at a younger age. But yeah, this is what it's all about, man, supporting the song. When you said you were lost, I, I do want to, just for people listening uh, that probably are feeling the same, what exactly did you mean by that? Do you mean that you would just go on a gig and play too many notes and not get asked back or or just didn't know which projects to say yes to and, and that jazz? Well, that that too. But I think I just, I didn't know how to make music feel good for a long time, just being honest. Like, I'm, I have a memory of, I was playing along with my, my buddy who's a bass player in early high school, and there was a, a drummer named Jared, not like on my immediate scene, but he was a really well-known jam band drummer, you know, local in Chicago. And he came over to my house and played with my buddy who I'd been playing with for a long time. And I remember my bass player buddy just laughing. I have a memory of him just laughing hysterically as he's playing the bass with Jared because it just felt so good. Like I, I just have this weird memory of that. <laughs> that and Jared was just, yeah, I was like, but why, why, why is he having so much fun? I was jealous. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll never forget that, and I, it, it haunted me to you know for a long time. Why is it? Why is? Um, why does this feel so good? And it didn't really click till many years later that it was just I was overplaying. I was you know I was more obsessed with playing a song in fifteen sixteen just to say we did rather than making a four four beat like this feel great. What I mean by being lost was just not knowing how to play for the song. I was I was playing for the drummers in the room, essentially, and I, you know if I had a friend coming to see a show, I'd be like playing just dumb shit, and then every time I'd play a fill, I'd like look up at my friend like he was going to be impressed, and like, who gives a shit, you know? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I mean none none of that shit matters at all. I mean, you are I mean, you are ninety nine percent of the time a supporting actor, and one percent of the show you're a, a lead role. You're playing one cool fill. I mean, the best compliment I get these days is, wow, you made that band sounded amazing, or you made that feel so good. I mean, that means way more than, oh, dude, that fill you played going into the bridge was fucking great. And, you know, that's like the point of the, of the song where, like, the audience stops dancing because you played some dumb over-the-bar line shit. I mean, so I, I was playing a lot of that stuff and just felt I was lost because I didn't know how to make it happen. Um, and it took uh, many years for me to dial it back and some really great teachers that um, saw my potential, like Ralph um, and Dave Byer, guys at my music school. Yeah, they were just really patient with me and, and um, took me under their wing to teach me that it's just about simplicity. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it works because I don't play hardly any fills anymore. And it's great. I've been following your drumming for a long time, and you definitely make things feel good. So I think Thanks, job man. well done. Yeah, seriously. Thank you. It didn't come easy. But yeah, if anyone is struggling with that, I mean, tone it down. Practice uh, practice pocket rather mm-hmm. than fills all day. 
All right, so plug time, and then I'll let you go because I know you have a day off, so I, I'm sure you want to relax. So yeah, I'm gonna drink coffee and stare at a white wall in my room for a few hours. <laughs> Uh, yeah, uh, you're on you're on tour with Matt Nathanson right now, opening up, playing with uh, Matchbox Twenty. Yeah, people that want to follow you, uh, just learn more about you. Have your videos and your drumming in their life. Where can they find you and all that jazz? Uh, I'm pretty active on Instagram at Neil Daniels with it's a, in an underscore at the end N E A L um, or my website neildaniels.com. Um, this tour lasts until the end of June, and then I, I hop back on with uh, an artist named LP. Love LP. Um, for Yeah, she's great for July and August. Um, and then towards the end of the year, I'll be on uh, Liz Fair's tour. It's her, her 30th anniversary of Exile in Guyville, another great record, if anyone's familiar with Liz Fair. And uh, yeah, those are I, I, I alternate between those three artists. But yeah, all 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 good stuff, and um, yeah, I got a drumio. I was doing a drumio thing a, a few days ago in Vancouver, so that's coming out next week. That'll be on the, all the YouTubes and stuff. Um, and that was all about what we talked about today. Just you know, um, it, the title was how to get and keep a gig. Just realistic, real life stuff. Trying to be uh, honest. Yeah. Well, I think this will come out in a few weeks, so hopefully the Drumio thing will be out as of now. So I'll, yeah. if I can, I'll link it. If it's if it's not only on their private page, I'll try and link everything below so people can go check yeah, it thanks, out. Man. All right, man. Well, I'll let you go, but uh, enjoy your coffee and enjoy your white wall. Yes. Yep. I got a few of them in here. Let me look at. <laughs> All right. Cheers. Thanks, dude. Ben. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it, man. Thanks. All right, this week's little skinny one is from Diesel out in Hawaii. Hello, Ben. This is Diesel from the big island of Hawaii, a beautiful place to be. So a little bit of background about myself. I'm kind of a jack-of-all-trades, master of none. been a journeyman most of my life. I've done some studio work and some touring, uh, quite a bit of teaching. I've got a legacy of some past students who are now adults and playing and have given me props, and that's kind of fun looking back. So, you know, my first influence ever for me, when I've always had a drum in my life, um, and when I was about four or five, I was watching the Pink Panther cartoons, and my parents said that I would be tapping along on the drum, which was, uh, of course, Shelley Mann and the, and the uh, Mancini Orchestra. But I'm calling about my first real influence, which was Blood, Sweat, and Tears, a song called Blues Part Two, Bobby Columbia on the drums. It's uh, kind of an interesting piece. It's got a lot of solos in it, and there's a, an organ solo, a bass solo, an incredible drum solo that goes into a sax solo before there's even a vocal on the, on the song, which is kind of interesting because Blood, Sweat, and Tears is known as kind of a vocal band. Anyway, Blues Part 2 by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. I think the uh, drums start about 3.30. Hey, thanks for all you do, Ben. I really enjoy your show. You have a wonderful day. Aloha from Hawaii. All right, here's Blues Part 2 by Blood, Sweat, and Tears.
And that's the show. If you're listening on a platform that allows ratings and reviews, do that. It helps more people find the show, so it'll get bigger and better, and hopefully I'll have a chance to sell out one day. But you'll be an OG listener that can brag to all your friends. Anyways, why don't you go and check us out at BigFatSnareDrum.com and follow us on all the socials. Just search for Big Fat Snare Drum and you will find us. The show is edited in part using Isotope RX Audio Editor. It's amazing, so go check that out at Isotope.com. And thanks again to Gunnar Olsen for the theme music. Bye!